With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You've burned so many bridges. People, people hate you. And you're, and you're struggling. Like, I see, like, you're a good person. If I just remove myself from that equation, I can save myself from the pain that it's causing me, the frustrations. When you're nine years old and you start working, not just because, oh, I love to do this and it's my passion and it's fun, but out of necessity and out of survival, you go into a state of fight or flight. And I didn't realize that most of my life I lived in fight or flight. Making that internal boundary and no longer giving them access to that and knowing that there came a point in my career where I really did it and I did it myself. I made it happen. Like, let me have that. I should have that. Let me hold on to that and embrace that and be proud of that. Lovers and friends. I'm gonna take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, Lovers and friends. I'm gonna hold you down, down to the end. I said, Hi there, lovers and friends. My name is Sham Boudram. I'm a sexologist and intimacy expert with an educational background in sexology, psychology, and journalism. I say that with a smile because if you're here week after week, you're like, we know. But I would assume that a lot of you are here for the first time, which is why I intend to keep the intro a lot shorter than usual. But I do have to give a little bit of a backstory as to how Becky G became the guest of honor on this episode and why this episode in particular is so incredibly different than anything that I've ever recorded before. So let's start with the former. So Becky G was hosting a series of talks on Facebook and one of the conversations that she was having was around how to spot a toxic relationship. So I was invited on as a guest panelist and usually when you're a panelist, that's your time to shine and show off your expertise. But in this case, I was blown away by the moderator, Becky G's wisdom and kindness and depth. And after that point, I became obsessed. I became such a great fan of the work that she was doing and furthermore obsessed with having her on my podcast, Lovers and Friends, which I believe at the time had not even launched yet. And when I listened to this episode back, it came at the perfect time for me because what I heard today when I heard it and what I want to share with you, this reflection, is Becky is calling all of us to do what it takes to get the skills. Hi, my, my baby up there. Her health, her career, her love life, and through all these various themes, what she is really talking about is the story of loving herself and at times hating herself. Hi, baby love. Yes, I see you. I think self-love for me then was just like in one aspect of my life. So it was like, if I get dressed up and I make myself feel really pretty, like I'm loving myself. And then that stopped working. And it didn't matter how much makeup I wore, didn't matter what kind of outfits I would put on my body, I, I still hated myself. So I think it was very superficial. Um, you really hated yourself? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what I really heard when I listened to all of these conversations back um, is the story of being your own hero, a theme that I think is really important in my life today as... This one is better. Yes, mommy is getting better. That's not what you said, but I'll take that interpretation. <laughs> my, uh, my, my turn. Okay, it's your turn. What do you want to say? You got nothing. Interestingly, I was just watching that zombie show, The Last of Us, and one of the episodes was about this theme too. A young woman who, against all odds, had to become her own hero. In the end, the only person who can save Ellie is Ellie. You got this, girl. Like, you can do it. And I'm like, but I gotta do it alone? And he's like, yeah, I can't. I can't be there with you. And I'm like so thankful for that. And while there are zero direct comparisons between Ellie and Becky G, metaphorically, uh -huh. you might be able to make an argument for one or two. Becky G is a woman on top of her game indisputably. Singer, songwriter, actress, and activist, she has number one hits on the Billboard Latin Airplay charts and has toured alongside Katy Perry, Demi Lovato, J Balvin, Fifth Harmony, and Jason Derulo. And she has recorded collabs with Daddy Yankee, Maluma, Anita, Natty Natasha, Zayn, Bad Bunny, and Pitbull. Her streams, oh, those are in the billions. Her community is deep in the tens of millions. And I would guess that as we speak, she is somewhere rehearsing for her upcoming huge Coachella performance. And on a personal note, she is the oldest of four siblings. And recently she got engaged to pro soccer player, Sebastian Legette. She is co-signed by JLo. And if by somehow, some way she has yet to catch your attention, I truly believe that's about to change. Becky. Rebecca. Rebecca. <laughs> We're going to back into this interview in a bizarre way, mm -hmm. but it's going to make sense. Okay. All right. I have some gifts for you. Ooh. <gasps> Does this make sense? That I love hot sauce, lemons, <laughs> <Yeah>. and tequila. <laughs> okay. I didn't know about tequila, but I was up last night um, you can put those things down. Okay, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just here. <laughs> oh, I was like, so cute. I was it's up so last nice. night researching everything about Becky G because I have an embarrassing fact to share with you. Mm. I did not know anything. I didn't know you existed until your incredible Facebook watch show. Mm. And the only reason why this is relevant is because I only know you to be empowered, smart, sure of yourself. There's certain things like, unos temas de like, you know, what's too sexy? Mm -hmm. A woman owning her sexuality. Yeah. All these things are always up for discussion because they're so new within our culture that a woman can be empowered and be liberated and own her sexuality in whichever way she, she chooses wants to. She chooses to. Part of the interruption, my favorite quote of all time is the key to happiness is managing expectations. So please expect three interruptions during this episode. And this is the first one. This episode, Lovers and Friends, is sponsored by Every Plate. Now, in life, we all go through phases where me time is a hobby and other phases when it's a hope because given how much you have going on, how are you supposed to make time when you literally don't have any? So if you are looking to cut down on food expenses, plus get back precious time, get more bang for your bite with America's best value meal kit, Every Plate. Every Plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. 
and 58% cheaper than your average fast casual meal. You can make meal times easier. You did really great okay, research. Good. Some things are the same, but yes. some things are very different. Oh, that's so interesting that you said that. I did um recently with like my mom and my sister. My sister is like one of my best friends. And um she likes to like bring up things that like happen and I'm like, that happened? And then like she'll be like, Yep, it's on the internet. Yes. And it's so crazy because like I grew up in front of the world in a very strange way. And then before I even got introduced to the world publicly through the internet, I feel like I already identified as such a like young lady. So when I look back at those times, I'm like, there's there is in essence, she's definitely still there. That 14 year old young Becky that did whatever interviews that you were able to find online. Um, but the journey to becoming my truest self today, I think is, is kind of where it's at now. Yeah. Because you make certain assumptions about somebody based on how you're introduced to them, right? So, and then what you just said was so true. It's presentism. Whatever I read about you today is who I envision you to be today. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's Becky G to me. But I guess when I first saw you, the assumptions I made was, oh, she comes from a home of university educated parents who were very solid, who poured into her with self-love. She grew up in a feminist household. She was really sure of herself at a very young age because there's no way that you could acquire all of this intelligence and self-confidence without a very strong, solid childhood backing. So that is why I was blown away by that statement that you made where you're like, I didn't even know how to love myself. Yeah. I think we're, we are all products of our environment, right? But sometimes what we lack is what we end up going to become. Um, and when I say what we lack, meaning like in what we receive, and I did grow up in a household filled with a lot of love, but a love that we now through therapy have been able to unpack. And we learned a love that is very codependent in our culture, very um, heavy on the women and how they serve others specifically. And so... Does that mean the men are king? Yeah, that men are king. Um, that uh, girls couldn't even play sports. Like that's the kind of like grandmas that I grew up with, you know? And my grandmas were in a sense a second set of parents. Uh, and my grandpas too, because my parents were so young when they got together. And so I think um, there's a lot of pros and cons to both sides of having young parents. I think the the pros were that I saw them in their truest self as babies, having babies growing up. And so we grew up together. And I think that's such a unique experience. So the cons for me of it all was that there, there was no blueprint for me as a child. I kind of had to go and build that with my parents, which I think for them, as we've done family therapy, they didn't realize like what a huge responsibility that was, not only on them, but also on me as the eldest of four kids. And so when it came to the way we love and how we receive love, how we give love, I think it set me up to be caring and empathetic of all those around me, um, but constantly serving to those around me without really realizing what it was costing me. Um, and, you know, we all know the phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup, but when you're nine years old and you start working, 
not just because, oh, I love to do this and it's my passion and it's fun, but out of necessity and out of survival, you go into a state of fight or flight. And I didn't realize that most of my life I lived in fight or flight. And so when I my body starts going haywire and it starts refusing certain commands to things that I've done most of my life, I knew something was up. And it wasn't just, you know, uh, being emotionally overwhelmed or mentally overwhelmed. It was like even physically becoming so fatigued. Um, and it was that time in my life where I think I, I hit a turning point and no one in my family had ever done therapy before. Um I think growing up, it was actually, if you went to a therapist, you're crazy. You know, what you're going to have to go see a psychiatrist. Like, are you okay? Do you want to die? Like, it was so extreme. And it's like, well, no, I, I don't want to die. But I, I kind of feel like I'm dying slowly because of how painful this experience is. And I don't know how to process all all of what this feeling is. It's this this ball in my chest and this nasty feeling in my gut. And I started to realize that I was starting to live in almost like this space of like, I felt like I was almost going against myself when I would do things for others because I was like, I just can't, I don't even know how to say I'm tired. I don't even know how to say like, maybe another time, you know? And I think it's because I saw every single woman in my family constantly give and constantly give and always have a smile to put on but then when you see your own mother behind a closed door see what that costs her too she always would turn it on so I was like oh I gotta turn it on too and so I would and I would turn it on for every stage every meeting you know and then and then I would come out and I'd be like wow I'm exhausted I'm drained like I don't even remember exactly how old I was but I remember I was really really young and my parents had separated and now knowing as a young woman where where my dad was and where my mom was and how that played out. What does that my mean? Mom, where they were like, mentally? Where they were mentally and where they were just in their marriage. In their marriage. I think for me, you know, my mom being in a space of having had, like, hadn't figured it out yet. And so to protect him, it was like, we're not going to tell anyone, okay? So we're going to say that daddy is at work and then so you're like a kid and you're like okay but he's not he's not here you know so like why why are we gonna say that and it was like sometimes putting on that smile putting on that flipping that switch because you haven't figured it out yet so because I haven't figured it out yet I don't want to get other people involved because our families our type of families are very involved and once they know everything they know everything, you know? And so for me, it was just like really sad to see someone who I love be in such a lonely space. Like I look at that now differently as a, as a young woman and I'm like, you were alone in that. I was with you, but I was a child. Like I didn't really necessarily comprehend exactly what that was, but you were kind of alone in your, in your marriage and your dynamic and you were still protecting everyone around you even if it went against your own self, you know? I'm sure there's the balance too, the duality of getting this conditioning from childhood and also the career that you're in is mm -hmm. like, I'm so lucky, right? Oh, 100%. And, and I am in a lot of ways. Like I think practicing gratitude and, and living in the joys of what 
all of what I get to do is. And I think that's when it really had clicked for me. The reason why I ended up in therapy was because a lot of great things were happening in my career. And I just felt like I wasn't really there for them. You know, so it's like knowing that you deserve to be fully present in those moments and not just in your highest peaks, but also in your lowest moments without feeling that guilt, without feeling like, okay, I can't, I'm not allowed to have a pity party. It's like, maybe it's not a pity party. Maybe it's just shit and it can just be shit today. That's okay. A poop party? It's a poop party. (laughs) It is, is a poop party. (laughs) There was something you said on the phone that like made me shudder and that was... I went to therapy because I literally couldn't take it anymore. And then you talked just now about health, mm-hmm. how everything was shutting down. So it wasn't even like I'm at my breaking point, like I'm actually broken. Yeah. And so can you give me like, when when was that? Where were you? What year? Like if you were to zoom out and look back at that and give us a snapshot, yeah. what did that moment look like? Hmm. It's funny. I feel like in my personal life and in my career, there's so many parallels and I think that's why like when I think of my fans like the fans that I've had since like day one I've changed genres I've changed languages uh and and yes. you know like I've just I've just gone and which was so crazy directions. about researching you because I only know you one way and I was like oh my gosh there's this whole <laughs> there's other, a whole other yes yeah. there's this English She's way. layered yeah. she is layered <laughs> um but I think it's those like parallels that have allowed me to still be able to connect in in ways through my true authentic self but in my personal and career there's also been moments where my career would be at an all-time high and I'd be met with a very very strong personal low and so I was kind of in two minds where I am experiencing such great joy and such great success But then on a personal level, I'm grieving something or I am really sad um, about something. And it was it was so exhausting. They were so extreme. And it was that like, I just want to feel balanced. So what year are we talking when that happened? This year, I want to say it was like when I turned 21. It was like year like 2021, those two, eight, like that window of two years, I think was like a very challenging time for me. Um, But it was good though. Like it was, now I see that it was good that I felt what I was feeling. And I'm glad I trusted that gut instinct where I didn't let the fear of what other people were going to think about me wanting to pursue getting, you know, professional intervention and talking with someone outside of my safe circle because even my safe circle needed to be reevaluated. Popping in to talk about composting. Yes, wonderful, game-changing composting. As somebody with two small kids, I unfortunately waste a lot more food than I am proud to say. And for a long time, I have wanted to figure this thing out, but it's felt too complicated. And that is why I am so grateful that I finally got a Lomi. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. Lomation in like my joints, uh, in my brain, which was also affecting my mental health. Um, Inflammation that was uh, causing like even my GI tract to go out of whack. So like the right side, this is the turning point for me was the right side of my body, like felt like it was numb, like it was just tingly. And it like it was, painful. which is a sign for a heart attack, nah? Right, I know. But so all the time, don't go on the internet, y'all. When something's happening, because I'll tell you, I was like, I I was terrified, 
And what was crazy was this is happening to me. I'm, I'm experiencing these phys physical symptoms, but then also I'm at a career high, but on a personal low, I'm not happy with where my career is on how that looks on paper. What was happening in your career at that time? And my career at that time was like, I want to say like, I, I had some pretty popping songs and like there was YouTubers making prank videos, living in mansions and driving Bugattis. And I'm, I'm still living in Inglewood. Like, you know, like I'm still, I feel like I'm still sh struggling. And so I was, I was like, I'm performing, I am, I'm showing up at 100%. I'm doing every single radio show you could think of, doing all the promo. And I, like now I'm so sick and I didn't know what was happening with my body that like I can't even perform anymore. Like and you can't was, afford not to perform. But I can't afford not to perform. Like if Becky wasn't on stage, who goes on stage, you know? If Becky doesn't do the award show, who's gonna do the award show performance? So that, that I think for me was like, just an immense amount of pressure that I was feeling at the time. And so then when my body starts, like I said, kind of rejecting the commands uh, under, you know, high stress situations. What does that mean? Like left leg move and it's like, yeah. no? No, literally. So like it was painful to hold my microphone up. And, and that's hard. Like, I love what I do so much. And so it was frustrating to be in such pain even before I walked onto a stage, knowing like, I just got to psych myself out and give it everything I got and hope that the adrenaline of it all gets me through. But then, that, then it would, and then the crash would be pretty severe. And so I started suffering from extreme panic attacks. Um, and those were really, really scary because I was convinced that I was going to die. Like, just about every single time. And it would happen in spaces where I would start to then get really embarrassed because I'm on a flight and I'm already in my seat. And then I just would feel like I couldn't breathe. And even though you didn't enjoy living, you did not want to die. A hundred percent. So you're just in this weird in-between space. Like when we talk about the in-between, you are in this limbo where you're like, I know something's not right. I know it's not the worst. But it is pretty bad. So it's like my worst, it's my worst. Right. But I'm always constantly going back to how we like to serve others and show up for others. I'm constantly comparing my pain to the worst pain that exists on this planet. You know, what's insane when I'm thinking about listening to your story, because it's so much, I wouldn't even know where to begin. So that yeah, shows kind of, the work that you've done because oh, you've been able to you. get all the way back. <laughs> you know those songs when you're a kid and you're like, there's a hole in the bottom of the sea and then there's a log on the hole and then yep. there's a bump on the log on a mm -hmm. hole and a frog on the bump on the log on the hole. Like, And then you have to get, when you're all the way to the top to the, the dolphin on the cloud on the toaster, <laughs> and then you're like, you have to remember the hole or get back to the yep. hole. And so when you're at this place where your body is failing, your romantic relationships are failing, your relationships around you, you feel you don't have a safe space, your arm is mm -hmm. falling off. Yeah. Like you're melting. Yeah. And now you're at a place where you're like, here's where it started. Yeah. No, literally, here's where it started. And it's, um, it's interesting because if you really take the time to get in tune with yourself, which I feel like I make such a better effort at today than I did then. Um, it's that you will feel the signs. 
you will see the signs. I wasn't taking the time to, to feel and I wasn't taking the time to really acknowledge what was happening. And so I feel like that's what I mean. My body was going haywire and rejecting the commands because it was like my literal nervous system was like, you cannot. And my thinking brain's like, this is what we do. We're so good at it. Yeah. And so um, being around people, like who you surround yourself with is going to be so important in that process because there will be people who now that you're no longer serving them in the ways that benefit them might look at you differently or might feel some type of way about that. And I had to learn that's on them. That's not on me. My responsibility is to myself. My responsibility is to honoring myself in this process, you know? And so going in with that intentionality, I think is so uh, refreshing for me in this season of my life because I feel like I'm closest to my truest self than I've ever been. I want to get there because you talked about it always being like this, one or Mm -hmm. the other. I think it's like this now for you. I would say it's it's closer. The gap is definitely, I think, have you seen that, the whole momentum? Like the, the thing of life is the ups and downs is what gets you to go forward, right? It builds that momentum. Um, I always talk about like when I was a kid and I would sit on a swing and I would want to go really high, but like in order to get there, like you have to you have to build momentum. You have to swing your feet, right? And once you would do that, there would come a time where you'd be so high, you could just stop for a second and take in the view and just wow, and it was so great. And then you would start slowing down. You'd be like, oh, got to build the momentum again. Got to put the work in again. And I think that that is the ebb and flow of life. You know, it's going to be hard sometimes and there's going to be really great moments, but it's how you exist in those spaces that gives you the, the balance that I think you need. What were some of the big changes that you made? I think the changes weren't so extreme. Um, they were gradual, even in the smallest ways. Like I learned that like boundaries... <laughs> one of my favorite words, aren't something you you have to talk about all the time. Sometimes there's internal boundaries. Like you just, you can just set an internal boundary and say, I'm no longer going to share certain things with this person anymore because when I do, this always ends up being the result or history has proven in this dynamic, you know, but I still want this person in my life. And so one of the biggest, I think, learning things for me was like my circle boundaries. Like there is my inner, inner, inner circle, you know, which is like me and my faith. And then there's like my close circle. That's your most inner circle? Yeah. That's really cool. I've never yeah. heard that word that way before. Yeah. My inner circle is just like, it's like my 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 closest circle is just like me and my faith. Like that's, it's me, my higher self and God and and we're cool. Like there's no reservations there. And then there's like my very close circle, which is like those people in my life that I know I could share absolutely anything with and know that it is safe and know that it is mutual. So that was like, I think one of my, my favorite like learning curves in that, in that year of like ther- that first year of therapy. Um, that was really, really great. Learning that not, not every boundary needs to be talked about. Sometimes it's internal. And what's really beautiful about those two is be, moving somebody to an outer circle seems like a negative thing, mm-hmm. but it's actually an act of love to be like, yeah. here's where you can exist successfully with 100%. me. 100%. Because I was resentful. It wasn't working with you over here. Exactly. I love you here. We could be great here. And it might feel like you're further, but we can actually be so much closer. Totally. And I think there's phases in life where 
they can be close and then they go out and then they come close. It's like a lazy river. This is our family therapist actually used, used it. She's like, you guys are in a lazy river. And sometimes, you know, when you're like in a lazy river, you're in a little tube, you know, those, those little tubes. And it's fun to like hold hands. But like there's so many of us, like there's four of us siblings. There's my mom and my dad. And then like that's like six of us. And like we can't all hold on to each other. Like it's going to get stuck. Like some got to go. Some might stay behind. Some might catch up again and you can hold hands again and it's gonna be cool but like you know let go of the codependency and just enjoy each other and, and there's gonna be some people who there's just no more bound there's no more space for them there's no more space for them for sure and I think um for me it was very refreshing to like give myself permission to know that if it ever came to that point I was allowed to do that what happened with your health after that um, well, I still, you know, what I got diagnosed with, I'm going to be dealing with for the rest of my life. But I think how I approach it is so differently now. Um, I have a lot more uh, patience with my body. So when my knee flares up, when I have flare ups with my disease, it feels um, a little bit more normal now. I'm more understanding of it. So I do things that are healthy for my body. I like to meditate. Um, I like to exercise and get the blood flow. I like to do things that allow me to detox, um, natural supplements that really just help me with all the crazy inflammation that comes with what I have. But it's, um, it's gotten so much better. And I think it's, it's also knowing that it's not it, it, like the elephant. Like I, once I got the diagnosis, I was like, oh my God, like I'm not crazy. Because that was also the other part of it. You know, I grew up like, I don't want to say I grew up poor because I was, I, I felt like the wealthiest girl growing up. Like I had so many cousins. I had all four of my grandparents. Like, you know, I had parents who loved me in the best ways they knew how to. I had people who supported me in my dream, but we didn't grow up like rich, you know? So like even access to healthcare, like when I had gotten diagnosed, I had no healthcare. Like I had no health insurance and I ended up in the hospital like ER, like I remember being like- With a hit oh song my on the radio. God, exactly. And you have, you know, white doctors looking at you like, you're just young, you're overworked, you're dehydrated, you need a rest. And I'm like, my body is telling me that like something is wrong here. Like you can't just tell me like this is normal. This is not a normal baseline for someone who's as young as I am. Like I should be a rolling stone. I should be able to party, party, party and be fine. And that's that's not at all what I was experiencing, you know? And so it was finally one doctor that I remember. He did like a, a, a like a strength and agility test in, in the hospital where he was like able to see. And he's like, you're left side dominant? And I was like, no, I'm right side dominant. He goes, why is your right side weaker than your left? And I was like, Thank you. Great question. I've been I've been asking this question to myself this, you know, this whole time. And so their job is to go from worst case scenario and then and then once those are no longer, you know, what's happening, then you start getting more and more relief, more clarity. But if it's something very severe, it needs to be addressed, right? So automatically it's like maybe you have a tumor in your brain, you know? It's it's only the right side, maybe it's MS. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And so the amount of tests that I underwent, and this is where I'm really thankful for Mark and Ben, my managers, because they, it wasn't a question of how I was going to get access to care. Um, they knew my situation, but they also knew that it wasn't, it wasn't fair 
for me to be in, in this situation. And I just needed clarity. Like this, what I was experiencing wasn't normal, you know? So they really showed up for me and I got to see a couple different specialists, a neurologist who was able to kind of really see the, like the infl- inflammation in my brain. But it, thank God it wasn't any of those worst case scenarios. But I still didn't have clarity. I still didn't know what it was. So when I had finally gotten my diagnosis, I was like, this makes so much sense. Like it brought me peace. Cause I'm like, if this is my new normal, I can make peace with that. Yes. Cause now I can actually do something about it. I can be proactive in this space versus just constantly be be told that, you know, I'm being over dramatic, you know. Thank you for that because that's so true that wellness isn't always better. Sometimes it's just being visible. Yes. The fact that you could see it, that's 100%. where wellness could begin. Yeah. I I think the clarity that came from it is what I'm I'm just kind of like holding on to now because it's like I I can live with this. Like I can I can do this, you know. And it's knowing that it's feeling empowered and educating yourself and what that is and what it looks like. And um, I think it comes down to access too. like, you know, again, the access to care, like the amount of times I ended up in the hospital and there was all these things going on. And it just it didn't feel accessible to to be able to have that clarity, you know, especially while your schedule is booked and busy mm-hmm. and you know that there's no alternative for you. Yep, no, no alternative. But and then also your entire family, not just your career, <laughs> but everybody's depending on you. Yeah, no, totally. It is quite, quite the uh, cross to bear. But then I learned I'm like, my, I, this is why I love my mom and the fact that she's. Who said sorry to you? What, what do you mean? Like after you figured out what you were going through and how bad it really was and you could name it and it was visible mm-hmm. to you and then you could show other people. Yeah. Who was like, Becky, I'm sorry. I want to say my mom was one of the first people and then Sebastian, my fiance. He, he's an athlete, right? So he's like all about like fitness, mental clarity to be able to show up in those spaces and, and, and reach peak performance. And I'm like, I want to be like you, but something feels like it's kind of getting in the, in the way, you know? And then, and then it's really easy to like, look at someone that's busy and be like, yeah, it's cause you're lazy or yeah. like, yeah, it's cause you don't do the work or whatever. And he also was like, I don't think it's any of those things. Cause I know you're not lazy and I know you put in the work. I see it firsthand. I also agree with you. Something's not, something's not up, you know, something's not right here. Something's definitely up. And so it was like those few people in my corner that I think were like, yeah, I think so too. And then when everyone else, like the loudest voice in the room is like, nah, you're good. You're good. It's okay. It's, 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 it's just because you're tired. Like it being seen in those spaces was everything for me. Um, it, it feels really nice to feel supported in those ways. I, this is actually a really sweet story that I want to share. My grandparents, um, all, all four of them are like, I mean, when I tell you they were my nannies growing up, like they were the ones who like raised us after school. We would go to their houses every single day, you know, and there came a point in my career where things really started taking off and I started, you know, getting bigger and I started being away from home more. And so they would see me on TV more than they would see me in their living room. And so in this time that is transitional for all of us, all I'm craving is to go to my grandma's house and take a nap on her couch. And I do that. And my grandma makes a comment to my mom and she's like, oh, she doesn't love us anymore. Like we bore her. Like she looks like she doesn't want to be here. 
And this is around that time where I started really making shifts for myself and, and making those internal boundaries and prioritizing, you know, the things that I needed. And my mom really stood stood there with me and was like, mom, you know, to my grandma, she feels safe here. She doesn't have to be her performative self. That's her working. That's that's Becky G on stage. That's that's Becky G in an interview. You know, this is this is just Becky, like on your couch. Like this is just your granddaughter who's tired, who's like just hopped off a, you know, whatever, 15-hour flight, like travel day. Like can you just maybe think about that? And I will never forget that day because I looked at my mom so differently. I remember when she was like, Hey, Mia, I know you're really tired. You don't have to come to so-and-so's baby shower. It's okay. I'll let them know. I'm like, oh, I don't have to go. Thank you. I remember literally crying and being too like, I could, I could sleep today. And so that support from, from those key people who do stand with you in those, in those shifts is oh, the best. Well, it's only also a testament to you because when you learn how to love yourself, mm-hmm. you can teach other people. Yeah. Yeah, and they'll support. If they really do love you, they will support you in it. Pardon the final interruption, but I gotta tell you about this must-stream TV, Zatima. Oh, Crystal Renee Hazlett and Deval Ellis, our friend Deval Ellis, who we love and are obsessed with. They star in Zatima, season two. TV's hottest couple from Tyler Perry's sisters returns for a new season of Navigating Black Love. Relationships are built on trust. But what happens when temptation is literally everywhere for both Zach and Fatima? Is their love worth being cared for? Uh, I don't know. I think I've just never been able to release the control aspect of it. Because when I take care of it, if it doesn't work out, I can take responsibility for it. But if it doesn't work out, if something falls through the cracks and it's on someone else, but it still affects me, that puts my mental, emotional, physical safety at risk. You know, it's it's interesting because like my need for information sometimes is is to understand and to be understood. And it comes from that that younger self that like really just needs to find the safety in things. So kind of going back to that note about it's not always like becoming better. Like maybe I'm not 100% in the place where I'm like able to surrender, Mm -hmm. but I'm a little better than I was before. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, the craziest part is like I'm only 25. So like I'm like I sometimes would think to myself like, oh, no, no, no. I've I've experienced so much life. I know. I know all the answers. I've got it. And I'm like, no, you don't. I would love to sit down with like the 19-year-old, 20-year-old version of myself who was not ready to like surrender to the reality that she was experiencing, you know, because it's it's it is hard. It's a really hard thing to to do when it's never necessarily been um demonstrated for you in the spaces that you exist in, whether it be in your personal life, whether it be in your professional life. Um so it, it does take a lot of courage to like say I actually don't know what I could do about this and I need help. It makes sense that, I mean, you're, you're still so young, but I think I was first introduced to you when you were three or four years already into this journey mm-hmm. of self-love mm-hmm. and of redefining really important words that mm-hmm. get undermined a lot when you're a coming-of-age woman, mm-hmm. like boundaries and mm-hmm. like um, accessibility. So what does self-love mean to you today? And if we asked 19-year-old Becky G that question, how would she have answered it? Hmm. 
I think self-love for me then was just like in one aspect of my life. So it was like, if I get dressed up and I make myself feel really pretty, like I'm loving myself. And then that stopped working. And it didn't matter how much makeup I wore, didn't matter what kind of outfits I would put on my body, I, I still hated myself. So I think it was very superficial. Um, you really hated yourself? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that self-betrayal that we were talking about that I think when you're living in that, you, it's like the person you see in the mirror is not is not real, you know? So I think today self-love is like there's categories to that for me. Like it's 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 an umbrella term. It's not just like, yeah, I live in self-love. It's like I practice self-love. I act in self-love by um, taking time off doing things that are for me, uh, learning to interact with my creativity in ways that are for me and not just for the person on the other side that is, you know, benefiting from whatever opportunity they're getting from me, but really practicing in that just for me, singing karaoke at home, doing, doing covers on TikTok again. Oh my God, I love it. That is me practicing self-care because I love what I do so much and practicing self-love in those ways, like I, I, that's sacred to me. I need to continue to practice those things because it, it does keep it special and it does keep it sacred for me. Um, acting in self-love is talking about some of my deepest, darkest thoughts with the people that I identify as safe people in my life. Um, my relationship with Sebastian. I mean, it's so funny because I feel like he taught me some of the hardest lessons uh, that I really needed at certain key points in my life that only like help be like a catalyst into you got this girl like you can do it and I'm like but I gotta do it alone and he's like yeah I can't I can't be there with you and I'm like so thankful for that so yeah I had this aha when I met my husband that was like heartbreaking to me um that a good love makes you love yourself more mm -hmm. because I think in our minds, we're like self-love is something that you curate all by yourself, mm -hmm. that it's 100% individually made brick yeah. by brick because if that person leaves, you don't ever want to feel like, well, I couldn't rebuild this without you. Yeah. Have you found that in your case, the love that you have with Sebastian has made you love yourself more? 100%. Yeah. In very challenging ways, for sure. Um, I, exactly the example I just gave of like, you know, doing things alone. And so I think with Sebastian, he's always been like that mirror for me of even like the ugliest, nastiest parts of myself where he's like, yeah, it's pretty ugly, huh? And I'm like, yeah, it is. He's like, but you're beautiful. Like, I think that's what makes you beautiful, you know, that you care so much about people, but maybe you need to learn not to give yourself to everyone. Maybe not everyone is so deserving of that. And I'm like... And knowing that advice is also going to bite him in the ass too, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's been, definitely been times where I'm like, yeah, today's my day. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I thought we were going to hang out, but, you know, but there's that understanding. And I think it's that, that support that is very, um, what, unfiltered. In, in a way that I really appreciate in such a superficial space time that we live in, you know, where everything is super filtered and everything is so transactional. Like there's nothing about our dynamic that feels like a 
professional athlete dating a pop star and what that looks like from the outside. Like we're partners, you know? I would say a million times better than what it even looks like. Yes, that, that part. That I think, you know, because like I'm not one. I even have to like check my own bias on our conditioning of like social media and like what we share. Like I've never been one of those people who is like, I want people to think I'm single. So I'm more like accessible and approachable. I'm like, if somebody makes me happy, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hi- I'm not going to shy away from it. Because can we just gush about your love? I love love. Can we have a moment? But I love my love. Can we just have my a love moment? Is the best. What does it feel like to be with the love of your life and to know that this is the person and I found my person and this mission that my entire life I've been wondering who was going to be this person? Yeah. Who's going to fit in these shoes? And now you're like, oh, it's Sebastian. My heart is literally like, feels like it's going to explode. Like I literally have tears in my eyes because everything that you just said is all that's been going through my head. And of course you envision... Well, at least I did not. I know some people don't see themselves getting married and that's also cool. Like that's a vibe for you. But I definitely grew up like knowing that I believed in marriage, that I wanted to get married. But as I got older and I was able to reflect on, you know, the relationships around me, I'm like, maybe it looks a little different for me though, you know? And so being on that journey by myself was one experience. And then when you do have a partner on the other side of that, who is open and communicative about those things and very emotionally available in those spaces, it's like, wow, like we get to make this what we want it to be. Like that's fucking dope, you know? You always keep in mind younger Rebecca Mm -hmm. and how she would feel. What would she say today looking at you? So it's crazy. The day after we got engaged, I... I did one of my meditations where I sit down in a room with my younger self and tell her what happened. And I was so emotional, Um, so emotional. And I think it was just so exciting to share with like young Becky that like the love that she deserves exists. Um, And that like she has like a best friend who gives that to her, like, there's there's some that that young self that felt so misunderstood that felt like she had no place of like belonging and didn't have any like friends like yo you have a homie a lover a partner you know and he's fine like <laughs> oh girl you're winning you know it was just so cool it was really cool to go into that space and be like yeah you're engaged you know what feels radical to me like the thing that I'm going to walk away after we have our lovely chat together and think about constantly is the fact that your inner circle is just you. I've never heard that concept before. Um, And it's beautiful. Thank you for that gift. Where were you on your circle list before? Oh, myself? Yeah. Like if today you're the inner circle, where were you on this like circle? Were you on the third ring, the fourth ring? I was, yeah. I would say I was more of like an acquaintance to my own self. Yeah. Like I want to talk to myself the way I would like my own best friend, you know? Like this, the same things I want for my mother, the same things I want for my sister, like I never really would think about for myself. And I realized like I need to, I need to love myself that way too, you know? And that must've hurt a lot of people. Oh yeah. Cause when every dynamic is based on you giving and bending over backwards mm-hmm. and then now you start to lean into you. Oh yeah, for It sure. changes everything. It shifts a lot of dynamics for sure, a hundred percent. But I think that revelation is so key. 
Thank you, Becky G. Go follow Becky G, stream Becky G, and sit on the edge of your seat like I will be doing for Becky's performance at Coachella. I'm going to try somehow, some way to get tickets um, and to get a babysitter, which speaking of which, I'm going to wrap this episode up really quickly because my kids are home today and I keep seeing my daughter at the window. It's a little sad, so I'm going to go inside. But before that, as promised, I do want to read some reflections from last week's episode. Last week's episode, Lovers and Friends, was around the struggle of creating friendships in your adult years. And it was a very touchy topic that led to some very touching comments. I just want to call some of those out and thank all of you who contributed to the dialogue last week and who continue to contribute because it's just been so um, affirming for me as I shared a lot of my own personal struggles in this area and also very inspiring. So I want to say a big shout out to td.hs who said, I love this podcast. I've been listening for a long time, but I think one of the most valuable episodes has been the one on friendships. DJ Judy Lee, I think, came to say I've never felt more seen, especially after the last episode, just to say that what's already been commented. Thank you for the work that you have been doing. And thank you so much for listening to that episode again. Um, Chan Gray says, I love this podcast. I felt so seen in the friendship episode. I have friends that I feel that I have outgrown and friendships that I want to grow, but the work that it will take overwhelms me. A lot of my friends are very different and may not even mesh together if I tried. A lot of things to consider. Thank you for this episode. And thank you for that beautiful testimony and that beautiful review. Lastly, Miss Holiday 93 says, I'm so impressed by this episode on friendship. It really resonated with me in a time where I felt like I'm struggling to make active friends, which she put in air quotes because that's one of the terms that we use in the episode. I've never understood why society does not emphasize the importance of platonic relationships more. And this episode really made me less alone in my longing for them. And that's beautiful. It's what we really aim to do. Whenever people say that they were able to hear a bit of themselves or furthermore, were able to hear something that inspired them to reach out to someone else, that's what we do this work for. And I know that's why Becky G does the work that she does. So yeah, once again, shout out to her. That's all. I was a full circle moment just to say, we're doing great work, guys. And I'm really proud of us. That's how I want to end this week. I'm just really, really, really proud of the community here really proud of this episode we have fucking becky g on this episode are you kidding me are you kidding me life's good lovers and friends friends. i'ma take you on a trip baby i don't pretend i said lovers and friends Uh, i'ma hold you down down to the end i said